Welcome to the Entrepreneur Mindset, a podcast about the writer's life and what it takes to become successful, both traditionally and as an indie. It's a podcast that takes a look at the business aspect of the publishing industry and picks it apart. If you enjoy the show and want more, you can sign up for the Steam Power Dreams mailing list to receive emails with valuable information right in your inbox. Just head over to steampowerdreams.com slash mindset to sign up now. There are a lot of all too common misconceptions in the publishing industry, and it doesn't stop when you've been published traditionally. In fact, that's just the start for many companies who are trying to take advantage of you and take your money for as little effort as possible. Today I'm going to talk a little about some of the scams and misconceptions that are spread across all aspects of the writing industry, from outlining and planning all the way up to stealing your rights from when they say they're going to publish your book. I'm Jeremy Collier, the host of Authorpreneur Podcast, and this is episode two. Before we get into the topic, I wanted to talk a little about what's been going on with me and Steam Power Dreams. This last few weeks, I've dedicated most of my time to creating a new service specifically for writers who are just starting out and either indie published or traditional or not even published at all yet. And this is a very important aspect of any writer's career, their website. I'm putting together, or actually by the time this comes out, I'll already have it all together, a platform where you pay a small amount of money compared to hiring a designer yourself or even some of these other websites that promise to make author websites. And we customize it for you, bringing you a very professional and sleek looking website. And honestly, if you already know how to do WordPress and some some simple uh, website design, you can get this for dirt cheap. I'm talking about less than it costs for some of the templates out there, some of the uh, themes out there that you can buy that you have to start from scratch. The core of this is that, as I've talked about in the first episode, and any of you guys who know anything about Steam Power Dreams, is that we are an author-first, a writer-first company. We want to help writers in all aspects of their career, from the first second that they decide that they are a writer, all the way up to publishing that book and beyond. And that's what these websites are going to do. They're going to provide writers with a great, professional, sleek-looking website that looks and feels professional for a cost that is much less than, like I said, hiring a designer on its own. This might sound like an ad. I'm not trying to sell you, but I'm extremely excited about this. And that's another thing about this podcast is I want to share my journey. So it's not about attracting you as a customer to hire me and my development team to make your website, although it'd be nice. The point is I want to share this with you. From the early conception stage, which is basically what we're in now, at the time of this recording, all the way up to the second that we sell our first website. So if that's something that might be interesting to you, a service-based website for authors, then I'll be talking more about that in other episodes. But for now, let's get on to our topic. I think the first thing we need to talk about when we talk about the misconceptions and scams within the publishing industry is... Some of what the difference is between vanity publishing, self-publishing, traditional publishing, and a newer term that's come out called writer services or author services. Now, Steam Power Dreams, the side that does publishing, would be considered traditional or uh, small press publisher. 
although we don't follow a lot of the same rules and same processes because we are um, more modernized, more for the indie author, we still fit under that category of you send us your book, if it's good enough, we'll publish it. We take a percentage and you get the rest. Then we have the author service side, which is offering services to those writers and, and authors that we do not publish. And that's a huge distinction because there's been a lot of controversy over vanity publishing. Now, vanity publishing is the third category, and that is a publisher who will, you pay money to to publish your book. There are a few good vanity publishers out there, but they are far and few. And when I say far and few, I literally mean for every 10 vanity publishers out there, there might be one that is actually worth signing with. And the problem is those other nine make a real bad name for the one who's actually doing a good job. But I've also noticed a trend lately where the good vanity publishers, the ones that are actually legit, they're not out to scam you, have started changing their name to this author services or writer services. And I think that that's a, another, that, that's why I want to make the distinction that when I talk about vanity publishing in this podcast, I'm talking about the ones that are out to get you, the ones that are out to take money from you for very little, uh, very little in return. Author services, they might publish you, but they're upfront. They tell you, we are not a publishing company. We will take your book and publish it for you, but we're not a publishing company. So just, just keep that in mind as we go forward. So the first misconception I'm going to talk about is that self-publishing or indie publishing is not truly published work. And this is a misconception that's actually going away. And it's something that I'm happy to say. Um, I, I think that the new wave of publishing is in self-publishing. So it's not only viable, but it's a better choice for many, many authors out there. You get to keep 100% of your royalty and have full control over who, what, when, where, and how you use your book. You know, if you want to sell your ebook on Amazon exclusively, your paper book at a local mom and pop bookstore, and create your own audiobook to sell on your website, you can do that. If you wanted to try to do that with a, a publisher, a traditional publisher, most of them would laugh in your face and say, no, you're going to give us all your rights. In exchange, we'll give you a small amount of money. You know, you can also do things like give away a free copy of your ebook or even physical book whenever you want. You can make deals to where if someone buys your physical book, they can send you the receipt or send you a code or however you want to do it, and you send them a free ebook um, or vice versa. I've known authors who say, if you buy my ebook, I'll give you uh, my physical book for, you know, 75% off or, or sometimes even free as a promotion. And these are all things that publishers don't like because they're losing out on money. The other thing that you can do as an indie publisher is decide on when and how you want to change your cover, your call to actions, the back of your book, or anything else within the book. Most of the time, a traditional publisher will take care of all that, and it takes a long time. If you ever go back and look at the book in a series for a traditionally published book. Look at the first book in, let's say, a four-book series, five-book series. You'll notice that the back end most likely does not have an updated version. It does not talk about, here's how you get book two, three, and four. And that's something that indie authors do. Now, it's not easy. It's not quick, especially if once you get into like four, five, six books. 
but the fact is that you can do it. And a lot of indie authors decide to do that about once a year. Um, they'll do it more often if a book series is very, um, very popular. They'll make sure they, they go back and change it right away. But you got to understand that self-publishing is a business. And it takes some knowledge that is not just about the writing, but everything else. The marketing, uh, formatting, and everything. Even if you outsource these things, the cover design, you still should know enough about it to know if you're getting a good deal, if you're getting scammed or taken advantage of, and you should know enough to understand the process. I'm the kind of person that I've done it all. I, I started, my, my, the very first thing I published was a short story where I did the cover and I did the uh, front matter, I did the editing, I did everything. Now granted, that short story is horrible. And it's something that I've taken down and put back up in a much better way. And that's something you can't do as a traditional published author. Granted, your books probably won't go up until they're high quality, or at least higher quality than that was. But it's still something that is, is very complicated and something that the publisher has control over. And besides that, it was a huge learning experience for me. Something that I would have never gotten if I had gone traditional. Misconception number two. If you get a publishing deal from a traditional publisher, they're going to do everything for you. Sure, if you're a name like Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, they'll take your finished manuscript and they'll turn it into a masterpiece. Those authors get the highest quality editing, great cover designs, and the best formatting, not to mention thousands and thousands of dollars invested in marketing. But most of us don't get that treatment. In fact, in exchange for around 90% of the profits, the traditional published author gets very little. The first thing that you might notice is that they offer to edit your work. And I mean, it's good enough to pass as editing, but if you're a brand new author and haven't proven yourself, they're not going to spend their best editors. They're not going to spend their top dollar on editing your book. And today, many of them even require that you've had your editing done prior to sending it to them. In fact, I would go as far as to say that the average writer needs to hire a developmental editor or at least have beta readers, have rewritten it more than once, and hired a copy editor before even sending it to a publisher these days. It's becoming more and more common to see manuscripts rejected based on the fact that they have not been professionally edited. The other thing that you don't get these days is marketing. Unless they see something really special in you, and I'm talking about that 1% of that 1% of authors who get published traditionally, then they've spent virtually no money marketing you. Sure, you're going to appear on their website, and you're going to appear under their name on places like Amazon, but you're not going to get any special marketing. And no one really visits a publisher's website anyway. Now, I've already talked a little about royalty rates. They can vary depending on the publisher. And you tend to get more royalty rates with the smaller publishers because they know in order to have uh, to be able to live, to be able for their company to survive, they don't need one author and 90% of that author's uh, royalty. They need 10 authors at 50% royalty. But even with a lot of the smaller publishers, I think the most royalty I've ever seen an author get is about 35%. Now, I'm sure there's some out there that are not that way. Steam Power Dreams is one of them. A 
published author through Steam Power Dreams gets up to 95%. We have a sliding royalty scale. And this is something that I've actually heard recently. We're not the only one that do, do, but it is something that's extremely rare these days. I think maybe in 10 years, it might become more popular, but right now there's only two or three publishing companies that do this. And if you think you're gonna get an advanced, that's a dying art and you might get a couple thousand dollars again if they see that you are that 1% of the 1%. So that's what you get with a traditionally published author, a traditionally published book. And on top of that, you get little to no say over what happens once you sign that contract. You're actually signing away all of your rights. Most publishing companies will not just take ebooks or not just take physical books, but they want everything, even if they have no plans on publishing uh, in a different country, in a different language, in a different format, they still want all the rights. And again, smaller publishers are not so picky about this. You can negotiate for it, but if you're going for one of the bigger publishers, one of the ones that you, know, uh, you hear about all the time, you're not gonna get any of your rights. You're gonna have to sign them all over. Misconception number three. A traditional publisher has more reach and you can make a lot more money if you get signed with them. Now the first part's true. Most traditional publishers do have a much further reach, but as we talked about a few minutes ago, they don't generally use it unless you're a huge name. And even when they do, you don't get as much benefit from it as you might think. There was a recent article from a New York Times bestselling author who came out and said that he only makes about 40 cents per book sold on his books. His ebook goes for about 12 bucks and paperback goes for 14. He's getting next to nothing per book and it's forced him to have to go back to quote unquote a real job. Basically he had to go back to his day job. He hit the New York Best Times, he made some money and now he's now his book has leveled out and he's only getting 40 cents per book. So let's think about that for a second. This means that a publisher would have to help you sell 21 times more books for you to make the same amount as an indie. 21 times in this case. To put that in perspective, if an indie sold 100 books a month, which is pretty easy with a little bit of marketing smarts, <clears throat> at that $12 price, they would make about 840 bucks a month. In order for that same author to make that much money as a traditionally published author, they would have to sell 2,100 copies. Do you see the problem there? The authors are not making enough money from these traditional publishers. Sure, they're traditionally published. Sure, they might make $100,000 or $150,000 or even $200,000 in the first year, but when it levels off, they get next to nothing. Now, I know some of you might be saying it's not all about the money. Some people just want to be traditionally published. And I get that, and that's great. But if you're trying to build a career out of your writing, if you're trying to make a living off of your writing, it's next to impossible these days with traditional publishing. Unless you're able to crank out three or more books a year for the first few years and they're high quality books and not expect much in return. Misconception number four. Self-publishing is better because you earn more money in the long run. This is the opposite of number three and is something that I'm starting to hear more. And much like the answer above, it's not always true. It can be, but it's not always. I just talked about the earning potential difference between an author who sells 100 books as an indie versus 2100 as a published author. But that scenario would never actually happen. There are a few, if any, indie authors who would actually sell their ebook for $12. In fact, if you try to do that on Amazon, you get only 30% royalty instead of 70. 
The more common price range for indies is $2.99 to $5.99, but they can go as high as $9.99, although, again, that's rare. The reason it's higher for traditionally published authors and published books is because the publishing house needs to stay in business. And between paying their editors, paying their staff, paying their marketing, they're hemorrhaging money and they have to make that up somehow. So that same ebook that sells for $12 traditionally would probably sell for between $4.99 and $5.99 as an indie, meaning it would take more sales to reach any type of numbers that, to make a living, over double, in fact. It's also less likely you'll make much money off of a single book. Most indie authors say that they start making money around the third book and can com comfortably rationalize either cutting back hours or quitting their day job around books six or seven. But that's a lot of books. Now, if you're in it for the long haul, a book a year, two books a year, a book every other year, you know, you're going to hit that six to eight books, but it's a long process. There's also the fact that you have to bust your butt in all aspects of the job, from finding a cover, cover design, a formatter, an editor, or learning how to do it yourself, and then there's the actually publishing it yourself. And it doesn't stop there, because now you need to know how to best market your book, which could be a topic for a whole podcast series on its own. So what it comes down to is both indie and traditionally publishers, published books, have their pros and cons. If you want to be a success, want to make a living from your writing, and you want to do it for the long haul, it's going to take a lot of work either way. Yes, there is higher earning potential for indie authors, but it also takes more work to be an indie author than a traditionally published author. So I think that's saying if you only want to write and you don't ever want to do anything else, you should probably try to publish traditionally. There are people out there you can hire to run the business side of an indie publisher, but again, then you're paying them a good amount of money anyway. All right, myth, misconception number five. Hitting a major bestsellers list means you're set for life. Now, I know I kind of busted that one above, but hitting one of these bestseller lists means that you get a good amount of money, that your book is doing very well, but it doesn't translate to being set for life. The bestsellers list doesn't actually measure how well your book has done since it's released, but instead how fast it has risen. This is why you often see books that are only a few months old on the list, while books like Harry Potter, who sells consistently well every single month, is not on there. This means that if your book goes from 1 to 10,000 in the first month and you hit a list, and you might stay there for three months straight, selling a total of 50,000 books, you're happy and you've made it, you've probably made anywhere between $20,000 to $200,000, depending on are you traditionally published, indie, depending on everything, how much you're selling. But the sales start to fall off and eventually you'll, you'll find that you're only selling a few hundred copies a month. Taking the median between the low and the high end here, you might make $100,000 in your first three months, but the next three months you only make $70,000, and the next three months $50,000, and so on until it stabilizes when the book is no longer new. Sure, that first year is going to be great. You just made $300,000. Okay, closer to 200000 after you pay taxes. But now you're starting to look at the book only making about 20000 or less a year. That's a huge drop-off. This isn't uncommon. And the fact that it happens all the time. Many New York Times best-selling authors have lived high for six months to a year off their placement there but then are either forced to go back to their day job or try to repeat the success with another book. I know that some indie authors have tried to bundle their books in order to get on 
lists like the New York Times bestselling list. And that works, but the thing is, the money isn't there because you have six authors, and that's even less money. You have six authors to split, and you're only they're only making about 30 cents a book. So even if they sell 100,000 copies or whatever, that's not much money, especially split in six. All right, so let's switch it up a bit and talk about straight scams and how to avoid them. This is something that I get talked get asked a lot. This is something that keeps coming up every single day in the writing group that I've created on Facebook. And the the sad part is that it's really hard to tell what is a scam and what isn't unless you're trained unless you've trained yourself to recognize some of the signs. These are in order of these these scams are in order of how you might find them in the path to becoming published. So we're going to start with <clears throat> editing. Most standalone mainstream editing houses will take advantage of you. Now, I put an asterisk on that because there, there there's some caveats, and let me go into that. There are companies out there that go all out to make their website look as well-oiled and, and busy as possible. They look so professional they might even remind you of 90s websites if you remember what those look like. They talk about guarantees, their professionalism, their speed, and other factors that explain why their prices are so much higher than other people. I mean, they're a professional editing company that does top-notch job. Of course they cost more, right? They probably shouldn't. Many times, they seem like just what you need. But the truth is, there are very few editing companies out there that, who are legit. And you might be wondering, why is that? Well, for one, publishing houses have their own editors or a list of very trusted freelance editors that they hire as needed. A publishing house will never outsource editing to another major company. It just doesn't make sense because they don't make as much money. For two, there are hundreds and hundreds of freelance editors out there. Yes, they might go under the name of a company like my good friend and trusted editor Robin does under Shadowcat Editing, but you can see the difference right from the start on her homepage. You can see that even though it's Shadowcat editing, it's focused on Robin herself. Instead of a faceless editor on her homepage, she has herself and even more about her and her life on her about page. So a great example to compare is first editing. Any editing company that looks like this or any company in the publishing industry in general, my advice is to avoid them. Let me tell you a quick story. My, a client of mine went to first editing before I knew her. She spent over $4,000 on a single pass edit that turned out to be not even worth that. They made some changes, but when I got a hold of it, I made over a thousand new changes just in the developmental editing stage alone. When she tried to fight it, they pointed out that they are called first editing service and that they she got exactly what they promised. And guess what? No contract was signed. This brings me to my next scam contracts and not signing contracts you know we're used to the back in the day when contract used to mean you're locked in and you have to be very careful about contracts well today i think contracts are very important and this might be something that is even more so for the independent author we all know the importance of reading over a contract contract when it's presented to us and making sure it's legit and understanding it in fact making sure others read it is also a good idea but what about having no contract? That's exactly what many scammers do, is they skip over the contract phase because that way the client has no rights. I use contracts for absolutely everything. Even my brother-in-law signed one for tutoring. 
Make sure if you sign with somebody, be it a major company or a freelance editor, you have a contract and you understand everything in that contract. Also, they should be simple. The longer the contract, the more chance of missing something. And people know that. Car dealerships and mortgages still do this. Not all the time anymore, thankfully, but it's not uncommon for a $20,000 car to end up costing or to end up costing you $25,000 because they've attached this fee or that service and you didn't even know it. You've signed the papers and now you're stuck with a $25,000 loan. The next scam, and I've already touched on this a little bit, is vanity publishing. In general, like I said, it's best to just avoid vanity publishing altogether. These are the publishers who offer a range of services, as I mentioned. They're usually package deals that end with them publishing your work. Sometimes they'll even throw in some marketing. But again, there are very few legit companies. They don't care about your book. All they care about is that they make money. And worse off is their editing is usually a joke. Their cover design is spotty. And their marketing, even though they might promise it, is pretty much non-existent. Most marketing you can't see as an author, so there's no way that you can prove or disprove that they actually did it. But the worst part about vanity publishing is everything is usually legal. Their small print is the worst. One scam company in general states that you keep 100% of your royalties. That's great, but what they don't tell you up front is that you only get that after they have made a certain amount of money from your book. So if you get their elite package that costs $4,000 to edit your book, cover design, and publish, yeah, sure, your book is published, but they still take 100% of the profit for the first $5,000 or sometimes even $10,000 if you even ever reach that point since your cover is bad, your editing is bad, and there's no marketing. Scam number four, marketers. Speaking about marketing, this one's a little harder to point out exactly who and what to avoid because unless it's a well-established marketing company or person, it's pretty much impossible to tell. Maybe worse is that they deliver on their promise covering themselves, but the results never show up. A legit company that markets books to thousands and thousands of people is BookBub. They're hard to get, but they can do amazing things for your book and are well worth the price of admission. They work by sending out emails to their email list they have grown over the years the right way. You can sign up for different lists and get good deals right in your mailbox, your, your email box. It's a service that serves both the author and the reader. That's a great example of a marketing company that's well worth it. But on the flip side, there are companies that promise that they will promote your book to 10,000 people on their mailing list. But what they don't tell you is that their mailing list was bought, or even worse, just fake, resulting in most people never seeing the email or getting mad because it's spam and your book gets reported as spam. Of course, these people tend not to last long or they change their names so often, which is another way to tell if they might be legit. Watch for companies who haven't been around that long, who don't have established records on the Better Business Bureau and things like that. So these are the main things that I've ran into over my the last 10 years or so that I've been studying the publishing. I don't feel comfortable calling out any more specific companies as scams, but I will provide links to websites and articles that talk more about uh, companies specifically. And if you've ran into any of these co companies or need advice, feel free to contact me. The best way to do it is our website, and that's at steampowerdreams.com slash authorpreneurmindset. You can also find my personal Facebook page and add me so we can chat at facebook.com slash Jeremy L. Collier. Or I'm on Twitter, too, at Soul Scribbler. And finally, one of my favorite places to hang out is Instagram, at authorpreneurmindset. Until next week, I'm your host, Jeremy, and don't forget to keep moving forward.
The music for the podcast, named Funky Element, provided by Ben Sound at bensound.com. <laughs>